your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brandon Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 95, and we're coming at you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm good, Brennan. How are you? I'm good, although I'm concerned that we're going to lose you on the recording again if you keep taunting the ghost in your house. <laughs> right? <laughs> Literally, the second before we were about to start recording, Ian yeah. made a crack about the ghost in his house. Yeah. And the entire window just crashed like the Hindenburg. It, yep. It, Everything gone, gone out of the session. Yeah. I mean, I, it didn't even let me recover the tab. I had to like sign back into Zencaster. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know what's going on. You think we'd done an Irish episode all over again? Stop it. Don't even bring that up. No. No. <laughs> God. How have you been? What's been going on? It has been a weird week. Uh, you know, the, the fellow I mentioned on the last episode who was, who was on his way out, he has passed. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, no, he was, he was a good dude. And I, I actually heard a really cute story about him. He was in hospital for the last couple of days mm-hmm. and obviously sleeping quite a bit. And my mother, she works in the hospital. Lazy. I know, right? <laughs> Come on, guy. Jesus. So anyways, yeah, she would, my mom would, she works there and she would, would visit him when she had time. And sometimes, or a lot of the time when she'd go to visit, he'd be asleep. Right. But if she had time, she'd kind of hang out and wait for him to wake up. And the handful of times that he did when she was there, he looked at her all and smiled and said, well, still alive. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I man. love that. As I said, it's been a sort of a cavalcade of that stuff. You know, we've got some illness now in the family. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a strange, strange year for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And also for, for paranormal shit. Yeah, big time. You know, we've got the two things we're going to talk about in the B segment. Yeah. But there has just been a lot of little strange stuff. For example, as I mentioned, we, we have someone who is very, very unwell in my family. And I want to say it was Saturday. I slept like shit on Friday. I got home from, from work late and then I just couldn't get to sleep. So Saturday, I got like, I don't know, three, four hours sleep. Mm-hmm. Woke up to a text message saying, you know, this person is very unwell. Mm-hmm. We're in the hospital with them and, and it kind of went from there. So a little later in the day, Nick, who was home, she said, why don't you just take a nap? Let's go both take a nap. So we got into bed and then the magic <laughs> happened. And then the magic happened. Right. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. She pulled the cover over and rolled over. I know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She yeah. brought up, she, she's got one of those, uh, one of those dividers, like in a limousine, but it's between us in bed. Oh, smart woman. <laughs> that would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> I'm a climber, Ian. It's not going to stop anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So anyways, we're laying in bed, you know, about to fall asleep. When we heard this really weird noise in the apartment, it sounded, you know, when you take the top off a Snapple can? Yes. And and if you press the lid, it makes that kind of popping sound. So we heard that in our hallway and, you know, sort of almost asleep. Nick says to me, what is that? And I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then it got closer. And then it sounded like it was at the bathroom. And I thought, well, maybe it's the cats. But then before the cats could possibly have made this distance, it was in the bedroom. Mm. Now, both of us had our eyes closed Mm -hmm. and it popped again 
just about at the foot of the bed. Right. And then a second later, my phone buzzed. And it was the person who was sort of acting as the um, sort of the point of contact for mm-hmm. everyone in the family and kind of giving out information about this person who was unwell. Yeah. And it was them with some really not great news. Oh, boy. And so the timing was really, really strange. Mm-hmm. So, and it could, could have been a coincidence, absolutely. But it's just one example of these odd little things that have been happening this last week. And I'll, I'll, I might even mention another one, maybe in the B segment, once we've talked about the, the main things. But yeah, it's been, it's been strange. On the bright side, though, we do have something very cool to talk about or to, uh, to look forward to. And that is the October live show. Yes. You mean the October extravaganza. Oxtravaganza? <laughs> is that a slur? I'm a little bit worried that's a slur. <laughs> I don't think so, but it okay. might be. Because I don't know anymore. Fair, yeah. <laughs> we'll call it the October extravaganza until I know for sure I'm not committing a hate crime. That's a good plan. Of course, if you are a patron at the $10 level or above, you always get our monthly live show. And that's me and you and Sarah, Luke, uh, sometimes Anthony, just kind of shooting the shit just talking about whatever. It's just an opportunity for us to hang out with our listeners. Well, for the month of October, we're going to open that live show up to all our patrons. And it's going to include uh, not just you and me, but there's also Paul Bestel from Mysteries and Monsters is going to be joining us. Nice. And we have a couple other hosts we're waiting to hear back from. So we may have a, a pretty solid crew of podcast hosts that are coming to hang out. Very so, cool. Yeah. So if you want to get on, on that action, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at one, five, 10, 20, and 50, but this particular live show, this is going to be open to everyone. So even if you give a dollar, you'll be able to watch comment and everything on this particular live show. And that'll be on October 24th. Nice. Yes. So we've got a lot to talk about and not nearly enough time to talk about it. in. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. As we said before the break, we have a bunch of listener stories to share with you. But before we do, we have some, uh, I guess, some paranormal housekeeping. First up is the one where, yeah, I guess I was right. Yeah, you were right. And like I said, you need to trust it. Aren't we always telling our listeners that? Trust your instincts, trust your feelings. And then you're like, oh, I don't know. Could be right. I don't know. I'm Catholic and do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> So why don't you why don't you say what you experienced? Just remind people of what you experienced, and then I'll read the email we got, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So last episode uh, that was ninety four cold feelings in the night, not the last mini episode, which you should also listen to. <laughs> we were responding to a listener who asked about the history of places mm-hmm. and whether or not a place had to have something bad happen there, specifically in a house before it it becomes haunted. I said that, no, I, I don't think that's necessary. And one of the examples I used was an apartment building here in Victoria called Azuro. Now, I've delivered to Azuro a number of times because I do food delivery at night. Well, I, I did back when people were still ordering food. It has no kidding, eh? slowed down some, but yeah. that's not germane to this. 
But anyway, so I delivered to this building a handful of times and I really found it dark and kind of oppressive and it always felt weirdly empty and yeah. it had this sort of hospital kind of feel, mm-hmm. you know, th- despite the fact there were wood floors and, you know, it should be, it's, it's a higher end building. Right. It just didn't feel right. It didn't feel welcoming. Well, as it turns out, I'm not the only one. No, we got an email from an anonymous listener who, quite frankly, we're thrilled that someone actually in the city we're in listens to our podcast because <laughs> that has not been our experience. Yeah, yeah, that always catches me off guard. It I mean, does. I, it's like, what? Where do you live? <laughs> but yeah, so we got this anonymous email and it was specifically about the Azura building. So he, the listener says, I'm listening to the cold feelings of the night episode. And I just about shit myself while sitting in my living room. I live in the Azura building and you just confirmed my feelings and experiences while living here. I've always been sensitive, but have closed off my abilities as much as I could because it became way too overwhelming for me once I hit my teenage years. I'm pretty used to things feeling off by this point in my life. I'm the only person that has lived in this suite, but Brennan, everything you said about how this building makes you feel hits the nail in the coffin. I have a large frame hanging in my entryway with a chest beneath it. One day that frame came flying off the wall and landed standing upright, leaning against the chest. I feel like I can confidently say that's the only time in my life I have had an actual poltergeist activity. The whole entranceway and bathroom has an incredibly dark energy. I can't look in the mirrors at night if the lights are out because I have the feeling I am being watched constantly. It gets better if I cleanse my space but it always comes back without fail. I've always wondered if something happened on this land throughout history that has created this dark energy or if it's just an unfortunate coincidence. I've come to terms with whatever it is here because it doesn't bother me very often, but I am shook hearing you talk about my creepy apartment building, which I get, I would be creeped out too. <laughs> yeah. I responded to that person because I don't think the feelings are limited to their building. And here's why. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you before, but I mentioned my apprehensions about the Azuro to someone else once. Right. I said that that whole area feels kind of weird to me. And I Mm -hmm. said, there's one house in particular. I'm always drawn to it. I always feel like taking pictures of it. But because thankfully it's in an awkward spot, I don't do it. But that house is one block over on Pembroke. Oh, there you go. And it's a squat little, it's a squat little house next to the U-Haul. Right. The person I mentioned it to said they had actually gone to a function there. It used to be a place where some local sports clubs would have events. Mm -hmm. And they said they really disliked being in there because it was a really oppressive and uncomfortable energy. And I can see that because honestly, it's a very confusing area. I don't mean confusing like, I don't know where I am. I mean, you go there and you're not super, I don't know how to explain it. It's like a befuddling energy to me and I don't like it. No, I, every time I have to deliver through there, I, I kind of cringe. Yeah. Because well, one, it's a pain in the ass to get to. Oh, big time. All the one ways and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it just, yeah, it feels, it feels hinky. I mean, keep in mind, and I know this is an old trope, but for our area, it is actually true. The First Nations people were here 10,000 years and they had all kinds of sacred places scattered all over the place. I think I told you. I did tell you this, um, how I recently discovered my house is, uh, mine and the neighbor's house. We share an actual archeological site on our property. You most certainly did not. I didn't tell you that. No. First nations. 
they, um, when they were building these houses, discovered a pretty significant archaeological spot that is a quarter on our land and three quarters on our neighbor's land. And um, they found bones. They found no because we're, we're at a high point. And the high points are generally considered pretty sacred. Of course. Yeah. And we are on the top of the hill. So that serves to explain some of the weird energy in my house, I think. I'll be damned. No, I I, I forgot to tell you that. People for quite a while in Victoria in the early days would decorate their homes with First Nations bones. Jesus. Yeah. They were like this sort of fun look at my trinkets kind of thing. The practice quickly came to a crashing halt because people would generally bring the bones in the house and then weird stuff would happen. And so, yeah, right. I I know the museum, they have some bones that are not able to be repatriated back to their people. They have native elders come in and smudge once a year because of the the energy and the weirdness that they experience. I had no idea. Eh, There you go. Secret life of Victoria, my friend. And before we get to the stories, you also had your own uh, personal encounter. Well, not, pardon me, not personal, but you were approached by someone looking for a little bit of help. Yeah, um, he'd really been struggling. Um, his property was up for sale. And the people who lived there before had just gotten sicker and sicker and sicker. And he found out later that when they left, they actually got better. Like doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. And then when they left, they got better. And now he'd been there for a while. I don't know exactly how long. And he was getting sick not just sick, but feeling anxious and suicidal and horrible, horrible. Oh God. He's had it up for sale and nothing like not even anyone coming to see it. And he was really giving up hope when he reached out to me just this past weekend. So I sort of talked him through again, that intentionality thing. And and he belongs to a church and I'm like, Hey, you know, that's the way to go then like do what you got to do. And as he was chatting with me, cause it was over Facebook, He's like, oh, since I started chatting with you, things are getting worse. Like I'm hearing bangs and crashing. Oh, I hear you, friend. Yeah. Yeah, right. Shut up. And um, <laughs> so then uh, anyway, I said, look, just fill your room with light. Just do whatever you need to do to feel better. So he did all that, apparently. And he got in touch with me in the morning. And I said, you know, check in with me tomorrow. I want to know how it went. He goes, I actually had a good night's sleep. And we just talked about all that. And, you know, the biggest thing was he felt so alone. You know, he just felt alone. He felt like he was going crazy. And, and I actually told him about what we always say on this show about you're not alone. You're not crazy. Listen, Absolutely. Listen to your instincts. And he just sent me a message today and said, so out of the blue, someone put an offer on my property. I accepted it and I'm moving in five weeks. So maybe Thank whatever God it was, just finally let him go. Well, you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of when you and I were at the old studio because yes, we were always at odds with whatever was in there. Yeah. And then when we finally, uh, finally came to terms to it, actually, thanks to our, one of our listeners who uh, sort of stepped in and, and kind of acted as a bit of an intermediary, I want to say about, I don't know, a month later, uh, it's, it was a bad thing at the time because we lost the studio. Yeah, yeah. But I think both the show and, and our lives in general have gotten better since then. Oh, definitely. It was feeding off of us in some way we, I don't think we're even aware that's it. Yeah. And so it was almost like once we'd come to terms with what was there, once we'd learned how to uh, sort of how to deal with it and, yeah. and kind of come to terms with it, it was almost like we were released from that particular trial. Yeah. Yeah. And it was I, okay to move on. Either way, happy ending for, for him. And I'm, I'm really pleased for him. I guess now we better get to the stories.
This story comes from Fox. And this is a Randonautica-themed story. And for those of you who don't remember, Randonautica is an app that randomly generates a place for you to go on a map. It's sort of a... It can be a fun way to have adventures. And because some people say that it... um, it's based on your intention or pardon me. The idea is that it's based on your intention. So you ask for a particular experience and it will give you some version of that based on the place it sends you to. Sounds like the setup for a horror movie. I'm not going to lie. I guarantee you there is at least one Randonautica themed horror movie being worked on somewhere. It, it has to happen. It's like fantasy Island, the movie fantasy Island. Oh God. Yeah. The, the, no one saw cause it's terrible. I did see it. Really? How the fuck did you see <laughs> fantasy Island? <laughs> Well, I really liked the show as a kid, so I was a little bit surprised. I bet you were. (laughs) But you know what? It was stupid, but it was fun. All right. So Fox says, recently I moved back to my very rural hometown for personal and professional reasons. Because there's not much to do here, I like to drive around, and I decided Randonautica was a good way to give me a destination. Before I found the app, I was just taking random roads, which, to be honest, I knew already, so it wasn't really random, I guess. One night before Randonautica came around, I was out for a random drive and took one particular turn and was driving around dusk when I passed a field where there was a small patch of forest near the edge of the road. As I was coming up, two of what I think were dogs ran across the road and into the bush. I thought they might have been coyotes, but the time was off and their sizes were too, so I slowed down just in case they were lost or abandoned dogs that needed help. I stopped just by the forest line and opened my door a little bit because I had seen a small canid face poking out of the bush. As soon as I opened the door, I got the worst feeling, like I was being watched, and was very much not wanted. Unfortunately, my animal lover self took over and I ignored it, trying to coax the dogs to come out, but they wouldn't. I never left my car, but eventually had to give up. As I drove away, I just kept getting an uneasy feeling. I couldn't pinpoint if it was that small patch, though, or the tree line behind the field it was in. I left and tried to forget about the dogs because honestly my heart can't take thinking about any bad situation they might be in, or who their owners might be. Fast forward to downloading Randonautica and taking drives it set out for me. One night I was laying awake and opened the app. I tried a variety of different intentions from thinking something wrong to the preset void and anomaly settings because naturally I thought that would be the most fun. Like an idiot. You sound like me. (laughs) I tried this seven times, and of those seven times, five took me to that exact tree line. Of course, they were never on top of each other, but all five times they were within a half kilometer of each other. Needless to say, I did not go back and check it out, and I never will. Okay, so why again are you using... I mean, I used an app that led me into near-death situations, but it was called Growler. So I'm not really understanding (laughs) why you would do this and end up in these weird places and be like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to try again. Is it like just because you want to try going somewhere different and you don't really know? I mean, it makes sense. We go to what we know, right? So... Yeah, that's it. And I mean, I I found it... I'm still getting over the Growler joke. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> and I'm right. You're 100% right. <laughs> I'm very much a creature of habit. Right. And so when I was using it for walks earlier in the year, which I was doing because it wasn't as busy out as it is now. Right, right. Um, it's a little busier now, so I kind of stick to the neighborhood. But uh, yeah, I like that. I like that it just disrupts your habits, disrupts your uh, usual routines and sends you somewhere you ordinarily would not go. Right. And I get that. 
one last thing it reminded me of is uh, back when I was working that stupid, stupid designated driver job. <laughs> I remember that. Oh God, I hated that job. <laughs> but uh, me and my my chaser, we got, or sorry, I was the chaser. Me and my driver got called out to um, this wedding. Remember back when people used to have big weddings? Mm, right. With large groups of people in one place. Yeah, it was, they would get all close to each other, breathe on each other. It was fine. Crazy. The only thing you're worried about catching was VD. <laughs> well, you were. See here, growler. <laughs> but anyway, so we, we drove to this, I think it's a winery towards Langford uh, near Bear Mountain. It was this ridiculously like fancy wedding and all the people there were gorgeous. And, and I don't know where the hell they're hiding these people because I mean, Victoria's got a lot of good looking people, but mm-hmm. I mean, these were some, some Eloy looking people like, compared to my, you know, our Morlocks. <laughs> and, um, just as we were pulling into the estate, we noticed this cute little, I want to say like a poodly type thing or something like that. Right. But really, really well taken care of, about to wander out of the gate into the woods across the street. Uh-oh, that seems like a bad choice. Well, yeah, my driver told me to pull over and she kind of patted her knee and this stupid dog just jumped right in. So it's got oh, no. the survival instincts of a- A poodle, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we went into the inside the grounds of this place, went into the, um, you know, the event center and- said, hey, you know, does anyone belong to this dog? And they had no idea how this thing got out. Oh, no. And so clearly, you know, he had been roaming around this wedding and just followed someone outside and then couldn't figure out how to get back in. So got bored and went for a wander. Wow. And I tell you, man, we we really caught it right at the edge because if that dog had gone across the road to those woods, it was boned. Holy cow. There's no moral there. I'm just old man Brent telling stories. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Once back in the day, I saw some cougar bait. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and wore an onion on my belt, as was the style of the time. <laughs> Thanks for that story, Fox. Our next story comes from Anonymous by the Ghost Line. Hello. I've been listening to the show for almost a year, I think, and thought I would share a couple of stories. But I think it would be easier to understand some of these stories if I explain a few things about myself. The first thing I feel like I need to explain is that I'm trans female to male. And the second is that I work at a factory that makes car parts. And third is that I'm not out at work as trans. The reason I feel like I need to explain these things is because when I'm at work, I often hear my names being called. And normally it's my dead name. And it confuses me because I feel like someone is actually trying to get my attention. However, it seems like whoever or whatever is calling out to me has a bit of a sense of humor about them. As sometimes they call me by my preferred name. And I look around all panicked, like before letting out a small chuckle, as if trying to tell the spirit, good one, Greg, you got me. Other than my names being called, I've also experienced kind of a strange pull towards the space behind the cardboard shelf. I don't really know what to call it, but it's almost like a part of me wants to explore the space. But another part of me is afraid that if I go all the way down, I'd get lost. Another experience I had was the time I had to use the bathroom. And to my dismay, the single stall bathroom was busy. So I braved a trip to the multiple stalled one down the hallway. As I was about to leave the bathroom, it felt like something bad happened to the person in the stall next to me, but I shook it off enough to go and wash my hands. When I exited the bathroom, it almost felt like that feeling wrapped around my wrist as if to pull me back inside. I ended up going back to my workstation and telling my team leader about it. So thanks for that story, an anonymous listener who texted us via the ghost line. And uh, you had some thoughts on this. Well, I just thought it was really, uh, I mean, I think the really profound part of that story was something calling their dead name and, and knowing that no one at work knew it uh, would be a little weird. I think that would throw me off quite a bit, actually. 
Absolutely. And this person included a picture of the corridor that they talk about right, being, yeah. uh, it being kind of strange. And I mean, it looks fairly innocuous, but there is a little something about it. A little something like, a, oh, I'd like to go down there. Oh, interesting. Okay. And as a rule, don't. Right. If I have learned anything from, you know, folklore and my own life. Oh, 100%. In terms of the paranormal. If it looks like, oh, hey, that's cool. Let's go check. No, just don't. <laughs> no, go clip your nails, go flip cards into a hat, whatever that you need to do to distract yourself from the, uh, the other side calling to you like that. This story comes from Maynardo. Maynardo says, firstly, I am so glad you guys have the mini show. It keeps me from getting itchy waiting for your main show. I was listening to the second mini show and Brendan spoke about how his friend's door knocked while he spoke to him at like 2 a.m. about the paranormal. This reminded me about a time I had a similar experience. I was up at 2 in the morning looking at Facebook because sleep is overrated. Leonardo, I was up at uh, the same time playing Red Dead Redemption 2 last night, so I, I sympathize. <laughs> I noticed that my friend had just gone online, so I sent her a message and asked if she had charged her crystals by the full moon's light. She messaged back that she had not. I gave her grief because she was just getting into crystals, sage, and other things like that. I told her she was a terribly novice witch. I told her the moon was still out and to go set her crystals out. She said it was too dark slash late and she was afraid to go outside. That I should go outside and wolf out in the full moon. Jokingly, I said that the things in the dark were at my place, not hers. Before she could lull back, a knocking started in my kitchenette on the north wall. The knocking quickly moved its way east towards and past me in the bed. I sat up and looked out my window just to make sure there was not anyone there. My studio is small, maybe 20 feet by 50 feet. I live in a quiet residential area and a driveway separates my studio from the landlady's house. They have no kids. The knocking sounded like someone ran along the length of the wall, pounding their fist on it as they went. Nothing else happened that night, but I have had many experiences here and other places I have lived. A few times I have woken up by someone calling out my name or a single hard knock on my door. My place is old, and it does make plenty of noise due to its age, but I'm familiar with these sounds. Hope I hear my story on a future show. Well, Maynardo, wish granted. <laughs> so you had some thoughts. You, you thought maybe this thing was trying to communicate with him. Yeah, I think knocking is there for a reason. Uh, um, the last thing you ever want to do is knock back. I know that. Oh, really? Is that a thing? Uh, well, it's for me. <laughs> fair, fair, yeah. Well, then you have to admit it's real. Well, yeah, exactly. And are you prepared for the consequences when you get a patterned knock back? No, the answer is no. No. Just one last thing before we go. I, I just noticed, you know, he texted her lol. And I, I sort of love how lol has become just this thing that everyone does. I mean. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I remember specifically listening to the second season of the Serial podcast where they talked about uh, Bo Bergdahl who was taken captive by the Taliban right. in Afghanistan. And they actually have uh, some of the messages from the Taliban soldiers who had kidnapped him kind of back and forth to each other. Mm -hmm. And they use lull. And I just love that. I just thought, what a funny little thing to connect all of us. So weird, eh? Yeah. They're just dudes who, yeah, yeah, their philosophy is all fucked up, but it's a hard, they're just texting each other lull and stupid jokes. <laughs> Our next story comes from Christina. I was in college when Trudeckin started and was supposed to start an internship in April 2020, and that never happened. I decided to stay at my family's beach house with my dog since it's much closer to my school and internship if I ever had to get back to them in a hurry. 
For some background, the house is 100 years old and is next to an abandoned school that is just as old. Uh oh. <laughs> the school is rumored to be haunted. In fact, it was just on an episode of Ghost Hunters, <laughs> but I've never had experiences there. Oh, aren't we glib? And I'll be staying the hell away from it to make sure it stays that way. <laughs> exactly. The house had been basically empty for three months when we moved in. It was just me and my dog in the house, and she generally sleeps locked in her cage in the living room. I don't remember exactly how long I'd been staying in the house at this point, but it was less than a month or so. I was dead asleep when I felt someone crawl into bed and lie down next to me. It felt like a smaller person, and they literally crawled from the foot of the bed and laid on the side closest to the wall. My bed is in a corner, so that would be the only way to get in without climbing over me. I woke up, I could barely open my eyes, and my first sleep adult thought was I was in the wrong bed. So I said out loud, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was yours, and then grabbed my pillow and blanket to go sleep on the couch. No fear, just acceptance. I thought it was all a dream, but I woke up on the couch. I don't remember seeing anything that night, and there was definitely nothing there in the morning. I just remember feeling the bed dip and sensing someone there. I was a little spooked, so I did what I call a space climbing in my bedroom. I haven't had any issues since, but I wanted to hear your ideas for what this could have been. If it was a figment of my imagination, why hasn't it happened again? If it was a spirit of some kind, why haven't I experienced anything before or since in another part of the house? The web points to sleep paralysis, but I was able to get up and walk to my living room as well as speak, so that seems unlikely. My dog just slept through the whole thing. I remember hearing her snoring the whole time. If this was paranormal, I'm kind of glad it wasn't that scary in the moment. Again, thanks for the amazing podcast. I plan to keep listening until you guys retire. You know what? It's funny because Christina sounds like someone who's very analytical in her life. And I don't think this is something that can be overly analyzed. Yeah, the dog slept through it because it wasn't a threatening spirit. Right? It would be as if some other normal regular person came in the room. The dog wouldn't, you know, jump up snarling. It sounds to me, honestly, like some little kid. Probably from the school. I was just thinking that, yeah. But who came because there was a, a, a person there and they wanted to be with them. I don't think she was scared because, again, it wasn't threatening. It, was, it had no interest in harming her. I think it just wanted to be with someone. You know what I no, mean? Like, absolutely. And, and, and I, she asked about, you know, why hasn't it happened uh, in these conditions or in these conditions? Right. And it may just be, you know, th- these things do seem to have, uh, I, I hesitate to say a random element, but there do seem to be environmental variables that we can never really quite pin down. Yeah, and I mean, she said she did a space claiming in her bedroom, so maybe whatever she did was going to ensure that nothing was able to come in. Oh, yeah, it could be that too. Right? So, yeah, eh, I wouldn't worry about it. I mean, if it's not scary, it's yeah, all good. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's the most infuriating thing about paranormal experiences, especially if you only ever have the one, is that it comes into your life and it just leaves you with all these questions. And you're spending yeah. the rest of your life going, okay, but maybe this or this. And so yeah. you just kind of go move forward from there and you've got to make room for it in your life. But if you're looking for specific answers, I think you'll be frustrated. I agree. Thank you very much for sharing with us, Christina. And if anything happens again, please do let us know. This story comes from Samantha. When I was around 17 years old, I overheard my aunt and uncle telling my mother they were planning a trip to Gettysburg, Virginia. Of course, I had to butt in and say, oh, cool. I bet that'll be spooky, or something like that. I'm a homebody, so I was pretty surprised that I took up their invitation to go with them, along with my eight-year-old cousin. 
We visited the Jenny Wade House, which is now a museum dedicated to the home of the only civilian casualty from the Battle of Gettysburg. We went looking for ghosts at Souk's Covered Bridge, which was only 11 years in use before the armies used it. We saw and felt nothing in those locations. We were ready to head back to our motel room for the night. My aunt and I shared one bed, and her son and husband shared the other. The second night that we were there, my uncle was having a hard time sleeping. I could tell because he wasn't snoring. That means I was able to sleep. Hours later, I woke up to my uncle huffing and shuffling, and although it was dark in the room, I assumed it was approaching morning, and the heavy curtains were keeping it dark. I lay there with my eyes closed when I heard my uncle leave the motel room. I felt reassured it was morning and thought maybe he wanted to go for a morning walk from being bored and not sleeping. I noticed my aunt and her son both didn't shuffle. They must be used to noise, I thought. I fell back asleep for who knows how long, and I awoke to my uncle coming back in the front door. I heard the dresser drawers open and close, and I admit I started to feel really annoyed at the noise. He isn't being very considerate to the three of us who are still trying to sleep. <laughs> I even looked over my shoulder and shot an angry expression in his direction and saw his dark silhouette standing in front of the dressers. I heard him go into the bathroom, turn the light on, shower, turn the shower off, even turn the tap in the sink on and off. I was laying there fully awake in the still dark room when I swear to God, my uncle walked in to the motel room. My aunt and I sat up immediately, and my eight-year-old cousin started to cry. We all got in a fuss, all saying at the same time that we thought he was in the bathroom. I thought they were sleeping, but turns out they were just as annoyed as I was. He flipped the lights on, which felt blindingly bright, and tried to grasp what we were all saying. Once he understood that we thought someone was in the bathroom, he swiftly ran in. I heard him turn the light on in there, which I never heard go back off. This is when I realized I never saw any glow of light from the bathroom door in the first place, and I heard the shower curtain being pulled back. He walked out and said, nothing. And we all told him we had heard him come in and go to the bathroom. He said, guys, I've been gone since 4 a.m., and here I brought back donuts. I told him I saw him standing there, and my aunt said the same. My cousin, who was closer to the bathroom and TV, said he also turned the TV on and off and came in and out of the bathroom twice, even though I didn't notice. So, Samantha, that is a, a genuinely unnerving story. That really is. And especially for the whole family to experience it. It'd be one thing if, if whatever it was just kind of came in. But it, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like a time thing. You know, how we've talked sometimes yeah. with how yeah, certain spirits are maybe just breakdowns in the way time works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about it, what's a hotel room, but a series of days mm -hmm. and each day mm -hmm. is a different person with a different set of routines. And if there's one place where you're likely to run into a stranger, if, you know, the way the, the way we process time breaks down, I, I guess it would be a motel room. Yeah. Yeah. And I, for some reason, and I, I couldn't quite find it, but I'm certain we had a story similar to this on the hotel episode. Where someone was in a room and had someone else walking around it? Yeah. Yeah, oh. I believe there was there was someone else there and someone entered. And at first they thought it was someone they knew, but then when they really like clued into what was going on, they realized it was no one they knew whatsoever. Oh, interesting. I, yeah, I, I couldn't quite find it, but um, I'm, I'm sure our listeners will know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. If you do, uh, shoot, shoot me a message. I'm just kind of curious. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Lisa shares this next story. Thank you so much for all the tireless work you do. Hubby and I look forward to every other Tuesday, now every Tuesday, when we can sit around and listen to a new show. It feels like hanging out with friends. 
The last episode, Carolyn and Bren's stories about ghosts in bed with you, reminded me of sharing a bed with some spirits. Luckily for me, the ghosts weren't looking for Nookie or to spook. I've only ever shared this story with my family as it is full of some real feelings. I'm sorry in advance. It's our family custom to get cats in stages. That way, the oldest kitty can teach her kitten manners. During my childhood, we had three amazing cats. One cantankerous Burmese, ironically named Joy, and two cross-eyed, long-legged Siamese named Calvin and Hobbs. Joy was getting very old, and the family hoped getting a kitten would give her a new spark. It did, and the very naughty Richard came into the house, young and full of vigor. Years passed, and my three childhood kitties all left us in their own time. This made Richard king of the home, and for some reason, Mom and Dad never got another kitten. Richard was enough cat for any family. Over the years, I got married, moved out, and when Vancouver's unaffordable housing market became a reality, Richard was the selling feature to get my hubby, our cat, and I to move in and share the family home. Three years ago, Richard was an old boy, and we noticed he was starting the path to leave us. With consultation, we came to a tough family decision that he wasn't in pain, he was just dying, and that we would do palliative care at home. Richard's love for me was palpable, so I was his primary caretaker during his transition, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. He never wanted. He drank fish-flavored water, ate the finest foods, purred and cuddled every waking moment. The family talked about how beautiful it was. It was also killing me inside. As a grown-ass woman, I went to bed every night with my pillow wet with tears. Three days before his passing, I thought I went insane from grief, and I might have. Lying in bed with silent tears streaming and my husband asleep beside me, I felt the familiar feeling of a cat jump up beside me. We sleep with the bedroom door closed, and I wondered if I'd left it open, but knew I didn't as two more beings jumped into bed. I wasn't asleep and could see nothing, but was amazed when I felt a foot on my chest and a ball of weight settled down. Moments later, I felt a weight on my legs. At this moment, I was sure I'd gone mad with grief. This was the exact way my childhood cats would sleep on me. Not caring if I was crazy, I whispered. Joy Bell, is that you? And the lump on my chest vibrated. Please don't leave me. With that, I passed out and slept for the first time in days. The next night, I went to bed, grateful for my sleep delusion from the night before. I settled down and could hear the husband snore, then the feeling of three cats curling up on me again. Instantly, I fell asleep and had the most beautiful dream with my matriarch Kitty Joy. I patted her, told her I loved her, and asked if they could stay. In this dream, I understood that they never really left me, and that they were here to bring their brother home. That was a needed dream, as Richard's palliative care was coming to an end, and we knew how close it was. Another day passed, and another night was spent with three invisible lumps sleeping on top of me. That following day, with purrs and in my arms, my beautiful boy took his last breath. That night I slept alone, and the house and my heart felt empty. I kept reminding myself of the dream and that they never really leave you. Weeks passed, and then whenever I was alone in the house with sight of our cat, I could hear little footsteps above. The last time I heard it, the hubby and I were watching a movie, parents away, cat in his lap, and we both hear thump thump and the sound of four feet tearing down the hallway upstairs. What the fuck was that? exclaimed my startled hubby. And with tears in my eyes, I said, Richard.
having a little rampant ball of fur and realizing he is most likely going to go before me. Not if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> Despite your best efforts. Um, uh, give me time. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, that's hard. That's hard. And I've had that same experience where soon after they pass, you keep hearing them. Oh, really? Yeah. Or you catch sight of them. Yeah, I've totally had that experience. But oh, yeah, they do go. They do go. I tell you, man, I, I deliberately structured the show in such a way that you'd have to read that one because I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. Thanks. It's a compliment. We'll call it that. Okay. I'm the meaner one of us? Yeah, that, that's, that's why you could you could handle it. Oh, okay. Got it. My tender artist's heart just couldn't. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, well, no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> one of the apostles, maybe. One of the cool ones. Uh, No, you're pretty much a Bartholomew. I don't know what that means, but I don't like the sound of it. Well, because no one ever talks about him or knows anything about him. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, savage burn. <laughs> oh, that was fun. WWJD, Ian. WWJD. <laughs> this story comes from Matt. First off, I want to say how much I enjoy your podcast. I found it while searching for some new supernatural content to listen to during work and was not disappointed. I was born and raised in Victoria, BC, and I've had a decent number of weird things happen while growing up, and I'd like to share a few of the ones that stand out most in my head. The second story is from when I was in high school. The group I hung around with always seemed to end up at our friend Will's house for one reason or another, and this night wasn't any different. It was a Saturday night and we were all hanging out in the basement watching movies. There were six of us, spread out on three small couches. As we were sitting there, I started to feel watched like someone is right behind me, just an inch away looking at the back of my head. Then I started to feel a hot breath on the back of my neck, like the kind of breath you use when you want to make condensation on a window, slow, deep, and deliberate. I looked over at my friend Anne, who was sitting across from me. Anne has always been sensitive, so I figured if there was something behind me, she might be able to see it, and I would know I wasn't just going crazy. I calmly picked up my phone and texted her, asking her to look over at me and see if there was something behind me. As soon as she picked up her phone and looked at me, I saw her eyes widen, and she sent back the word, yes. With that, I asked if it was mad, because I could feel pure anger in whatever it was. Again, staring at me wide-eyed, I got the answer, yes. At that time, I got up and said I had to go, and promptly left the house and walked home, all the while feeling like something very mad was right there in the shadows behind me. That continued until I crossed the threshold of my own house. My next story takes place in the same house on another one of those Saturday nights. This time we were all upstairs having a sleepover in the front living room. It was about 1am and everyone else had fallen asleep. I was on the floor flicking through channels on TV, looking for anything more interesting than infomercials, then decided to just turn the TV off and try to go to sleep. Just before I got around to turning the set off, a voice in my head said to turn the volume down. So I did. I turned it down till it was almost completely silent. It was then I noticed just how quiet the house was. Way too quiet. There were six people sleeping in the one room. Will's mom down the hall in her room and his little brother in his room just around the corner, yet I couldn't hear any of them. Then, as if coming from the same room, I heard a little girl laugh. I'm pretty sure I said, no fucking way, out loud, then looked around to see everyone was still passed out. 
Thinking I must be primed from the movies we had been watching, or just overtired, I turned the TV volume back up for some noise, laid down, and attempted to get some sleep. A little while later, I woke up, and from my position on the floor, I looked right down the long hallway towards the bathroom. Normally, this wouldn't be a problem, but this time it was different. The darkness of the hallway was different. I watched as a pure blackness filled up the whole mass of the hallway, and for a moment, I couldn't look away. It was like I could see the darkness looking out at me. Once I regained a sense of things, I said, nope, out loud, rolled over, and I have no idea how but was able to fall back to sleep. This was the last of the events I witnessed at that house. Hmm. Yeah. So thanks for that, Matt. Again, we always love knowing that we have uh, local listeners. Well, and this Matt is local. Uh, where's the house, Matt? Hello. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, if you don't mind telling us privately, we'd be very curious to know. So th- again, thank you very much for that, Matt. Cassie sends us this story. So I have a story similar to your right hand story. I'd like to preface this by saying that there have been at least two other people with similar white glove or hand stories on Monsters Among Us, so it definitely seems to be a trend. When my son was little, probably in the four to five-year-old range, he complained about a hand that would bother him. He would see it in the window in the storm door. Being so young, it was difficult for him to articulate what he was seeing, so it took quite some time for him to excitedly point out on TV that what he saw was like the hamburger helper glove. Well, at this, I, of course, thinking it's his imagination. Let's be honest, as much as I believe in everything, hearing that the hamburger helper glove is beckoning to your toddler from outside your window doesn't sound like anything else you've ever heard of. Well, until now, of course. Fast forward, and I'm listening to Monsters Among Us. The story of the white striped glove plays, and I call my son in and replay it. His face drops, and he goes pale. The experience is so similar to his. He says that the hand was the most terrifying thing, and even now at 17, he remembers how it would tap on his window and try to get him to come out. I have a much longer story that one day I may call in, but since the above was short and the following even shorter, I thought it might be a good segue, especially because it's about the ghost legs. I was about 20 years old, and I'd moved in with my then boyfriend one town over from my hometown. He worked early in the morning to late in the evening, and the house, actually the same house with the hand, made me uncomfortable and I didn't like to stay there alone. So every day I would drive the 30 minutes back home and stay there until evening. This particular morning there was a very dense fog. I was on a long straightaway in a farming area and I couldn't see more than about two car lengths ahead of me, but I knew the road. To my left was an open field and on the right there was a drop off about six feet down to a fence pasture. Being that I could barely see I was hyper aware of everything and that's when I saw a pair of legs walking across the road ahead of me. They were moving from left to right and were in the middle of the road at this point, so I slammed on the brakes to slow down. As I passed where they should have been on the right side of the road, there was nothing. No one. Did they walk off the hill and down into the pasture? Likely no. Why would they even be out walking anyway? This is a rural area. Nothing to walk to for miles. On the rest of the drive, I analyzed what I saw. There was no visible torso. The legs were exaggeratedly long, and it moved in long strides that made it quickly to the other side. I couldn't make out any type of clothing. I honestly don't believe I saw a live person. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, yeah, no, I I very much believe you did not see a live person. Yeah, no, that's very weird and creepy. Is it ever? And, And in kind of a sort of a little synchronicity there, 
when I was on the Monsters Among Us roundtable in, I want to say, was that in the pandemic? No, it was pre-pandemic. But uh, yeah, when I was on there, the main topic was the something something Nightcrawler, which is basically, I mean, I don't put much stock in the videos for reasons we discussed, but people refer to it as being like legs. And uh, of course, you know, that happened to me in Revelstoke. I came Mm -hmm. around the corner that night and there was two huge shadow legs. And as soon as I really kind of noticed them, which kind of sounds like this, that's when you lose them. Almost like there's just, yeah, there's no room for it in your head. Our last story of the night comes from Maggie. My family moved when I was about 11 years old to a newer house just up the road from the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, a place rife with U.S. Civil War ghost stories, if you haven't heard of it. My best friend and I had always been sensitive. However, this being a newer house in a cookie-cutter suburb, I never expected to encounter anything there. Uh, We know better than that, Maggie. First things first, the layout of this house is important. When you walk in the front door, you walk straight into a huge two-story high foyer, with stairs just to the right of the entrance leading up to a balcony-style hallway at the top where all the bedrooms were. That meant that the bedrooms overlooked the front door from this balcony. It was a vast, empty space. Directly beneath the stairs leading to the second story was another stairway leading down to the basement. Essentially, the stairways and hallways were both the same layout, layered directly on top of each other. I don't remember when this started, but the fear is palpable to this day. The stairs leading up to the balcony terrified me. Why? Because I always saw a child, I'd guess three to four years old, engulfed in flames, walking up those steps. It wasn't on fire as if it was being harmed. It was just like its bodily form was engulfed in fire. You could see the dark shadow of its toddler shape inside the flames. Flames around it. Flames coming out the eye sockets. Arms outstretched and toddling up the stairs. There was no smoke. It was not bright. It was just fire. And almost suspended there. It never moved quickly or seemed like it saw me. And I never truly saw it. I could see it with my mind's eye. As in, I knew that in real life all I was seeing was a dark stairway, but it was like my brain inserted this picture of the flame child there. In my younger years at that house, I would run across that balcony as quickly as I could to get to my big sister's bedroom on the other side and vault myself into bed with her. I can still remember the sensation on my right side as I ran by those steps. That sensation of being so close to something that it could or was about to touch me. I'm 29 now. That image, those feelings and sensations are still burned into my mind to this day. My parents moved a few years ago and it was such a relief. Although I was able to block the image some as time went on in that house, it was always there. But that wasn't the only thing I saw and experienced in that space. Shortly after moving to that house, my family dog Jesse died. I was away on a chorus trip when my parents felt it was time to put Jesse to sleep and I was shattered. Oh, I'm sorry, that's awful. That is awful. What a shitty decision. Uh-huh. We were a little bit worried the therapy industry isn't thriving quite enough, so. <laughs> you know what, though, to be fair, I could kind of see the logic as a parent. You're like, well, we'll just save them the pain and, you know, it'll all be done by the time they get home. Like, I understand the logic, but it doesn't translate well at all. No, that's like when someone tells me, oh, I didn't tell you this upsetting thing because I didn't want to upset you. Well, now I found out anyways, and now I'm upset even more. Yeah, exactly. I know this, no, that I know it. No, I get it. doesn't work. No. I remember feeling that she had hung around to help me with my grief after she passed, petting her invisible form in my hotel room on the chorus trip, feeling her run alongside me in my middle school adventures with friends. 
When we got my dog, Maggie May, shortly after that, I remember sitting in my room with Maggie and saying to Jesse, if you're here, show yourself. Maggie immediately started barking at something I couldn't see moving across the room at dog height. I'm pretty sure I said, okay, thanks, never mind, and it stopped. Hmm. I don't think I asked Jessie to show herself again, and I think she moved on after that. Maggie must have been sensitive too, though, because her paranormal experiences didn't stop there. For the 13 years Maggie lived in that house, she would stare at empty ceilings and corners with her ears laid back, sometimes even tracking something with her eyes. As I got older, I would stay up late in the kitchen working on writing papers for my AP English class. From the kitchen, I could see the nexus where the hallway with the door leading to the basement met with the open space of the foyer. I can't tell you how many times I saw figures out of the corner of my eye standing in the shadows there. Always a Confederate soldier from the Civil War, or I assume he was because of his gray uniform. Gone as soon as I turned my head. A couple of times I fell asleep on the sofa in the family room next to the kitchen, only to jolt awake when someone called my name or whispered in my ear. From time to time, things would go missing, too. Because we lived in a subdivision called Mosby Station, my dad would always joke that Colonel Mosby haunted us and liked to steal things. Oddly enough, though, I don't know that they ever believed me when I told them what I saw. To this day, when it comes up, my mom, dad, and sister all say they never felt anything in that house. This shocks me because some of my friends did. Although no one ever saw what I saw, I had a skeptical boyfriend in my early 20s tell me he always had the feeling of being watched on that balcony. And remember my paranormal sensitive best friend that I mentioned in the beginning? Shortly before my parents moved, she came over and said, Dude, what the fuck is up with your basement? That doorway <laughs> feels like the portal to hell. I, I like her already. Mm -hmm. Anyways, as my parents got ready to move a few years ago, I went by to help them pack. I was in the kitchen packing dishware when I had possibly the most poignant experience of any I've ever had. I was standing there at the kitchen sink, which faced out a window into the side yard when I had a vision. I was looking out towards the front door, which was open. Light shone through it, and around a figure walking towards me. He was a moderately tall man, maybe around 5 foot 10, wearing a bluish gray suit with a white button-down shirt. I can't remember exactly, but I want to say he was carrying a suitcase. I just know he was traveling. He was going somewhere. Walking with purpose. The most vivid part, like a still shot in my mind, is an image of his boot. A black, unpolished leather boot with a round toe and that bluish-gray trouser leg with perfectly pressed vertical crease, but also with a wrinkle just above where it sat on the boot. Because this snapshot I have is of his boot mid-step, heel on or near the ground, toes lifted. It's so odd. I wasn't looking that direction. I was at the sink looking out the window, but I can see it all. The boot mid-step with a creased pant leg above it. Somehow I know he was wearing. I know he's going somewhere. Meanwhile, in this image of this man, I can still see our house around him. The storm door behind him with the light coming through it. The wood floors beneath him. Our furniture, our plants, our stairway, our paint. All the details of our foyer. It wasn't scary. It just was. What really jolted me was that this vision came into my mind so seamlessly I didn't even realize it was strange until after it happened. I saw it. Thought, oh, there he goes. Kept washing dishes for a moment and then went, what? In some strange way, it was like he was saying goodbye. It almost makes it more confusing, and my experiences in that house confound me to this day. Were they related? Was it one being in many forms? Was there a vortex there drawing many things? Why was I the only one in my family to feel it? So th there's a lot to unpack there. 
Well, first of all, flaming children, no. I've heard that is a uh, a no-no for no, childcare. No, that would freak me right out. That would not be okay. But we talked about this on the, uh, the, the last mini episode. And I know we mentioned that there is a lot of lore around the concept of the jinn as mm-hmm. people made of smokeless fire. That's true. And I kind of wonder if there's something to that. Because, I mean, it could be that the house is, is kind of a nexus. I mean, I know, again, we've, we've talked a little bit, a fair bit on this show about the old office. And that was like that. You know, I really do think that uh, that building kind of sits on a bit of a through line. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I wonder if this house is, is similar because it seems like she's seeing a, a disparate number of things. It's not like they're all connected somehow. Yeah. I don't know. And, is it the person or is it the place? You know what I mean? Well, I think it's a combination of the two. Because I, I th- obviously, if other people are there, they, if they're not tuned into it, if they're not sensitive enough, yeah, they may just not be aware of it. I mean, how many people worked in the old building and never had any problems there? True. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, at the same time, I do wonder if it is quite so simple as, oh, they didn't feel anything. I mean, it sounds like they've been pretty resistant to this idea. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if maybe things happen and they just write them off and go, oh, well, you know, that's just the neighbor's flaming child or, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I, I just wonder if they would dismiss that. I don't know. Yeah. The other thing that kind of jumped out at me was how at first when she saw the man in the hall, it didn't seem out of place. Right. And it reminds me of that listener story from last episode where, you know, this fellow was headed out to work and this little boy literally just ran in the door and... He didn't think anything of it, but he doesn't have kids. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no. No, because I think that's how you get kids. I'm not totally clear on how kids are made, but I'm pretty sure they just rush in your house when you leave your door unguarded like a hockey goalie. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've heard talk about pulling the goalie and I have to assume it's something to do with the front door. Yeah, go with that. Cool. Yeah. So thank you so much, Maggie. I, again, I wish we had more answers for you, but I, I do think there's something to this notion of, uh, again, of, of the jinn and, and this sort of culture of beings that live alongside us and are aware of us, but we are not necessarily aware of them. So that's going to do it for our listener stories for tonight. Thank you to everyone who sent their stories in and everyone else who's been sending them in. We get so many great stories. It's, uh, it's hard to get them all into the show, but we still would love to read yours. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best way to do it. Not everything makes the show, but we read everything we're sent. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our patron shoutouts. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, I wanted to give an extra shout out again to Luke. And I know we mentioned on a couple episodes ago that Luke wasn't feeling very well. Luke is improving, definitely, but he was diagnosed with the turducken. Luke, I'm just really glad you're feeling better because I was following your progress or I suppose decline uh, on Facebook. And, and I know I wasn't the only one who's getting pretty worried about you. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear you're on the mend. Yeah. Yeah. He said that uh, the, the chest stuff was about eight days and he said it was mm-hmm. excruciating. Mm-hmm. And the, he said the, yeah, and hopefully, hopefully he doesn't mind me saying this. I know he did mention it on Facebook, I think, but he said the, the headaches are still a problem. Ugh, it, it takes a long time for it to go away. 
Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's it's a two weeks if you're lucky. And I know a lot of people kind of point to the 99% recovery rate and say, and say oh, see, shit, it ain't that bad. Right. Uh, but no, that's not the full story. I mean, 99% recovery rate, which is great, but you also suffer like fucking crazy for right. those two weeks and yeah. possibly longer. I mean, there's a lot of information coming out about what they're calling long haulers. Right. And these are people who have symptoms that don't go away. Yeah. Or they recur. And uh, anyways, point being, folks, wear a mask. Stay the fuck away from each other. Yep. The f- flu season is coming. And yeah, I know. I'm going to be getting my flu shot. I can tell you that. Yeah, fair enough. I, I kind of hit and miss my flu shot. This year, I'll be getting it. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wash your hands. Stay the hell away from each other. And it, it's we're going to get out of this, but we still got to do the things. I know there's a lot of people want to, we just want to go back to normal. That's not going to happen. No, I don't think so. No, there's going to be, there's going to be a new normal. It's not going to be this, this garbage scenario we have now where we can't hug each other, but there's going to be something that's better and different, but it's going to take time and we're going to have to get used to it. I mean, we have to go to Vancouver this weekend for a car thing. Oh God. Yeah. I didn't, didn't envy you that. Yeah. And you know, on the, on the Friday night, we're like, okay, like it's late. Let's just go grab some dinner. And we're in this area. I think we were in Burnaby or something and there's a bunch of restaurants and we're, oh, well, let's go to this one. So we start walking towards the restaurant. There had to be, I'm going to say 25 people waiting to go in the restaurant, all bunched up, it. none of them wearing masks. Oh God. And I looked at Jay and I'm like, how bad do we want to go here? And he's like, not that bad. And we literally got back in the car and we went through a drive through Yeah. Because it just wasn't worth it. And honestly, I mean, I'm being very generalistic here, but it honestly looked like nobody cared you know what i yeah. mean like nobody cared that's why the numbers keep climbing up in the uh, lower mainland 100 percent, and i could see why firsthand yeah it's it's that attitude that well i'm sure it's fine you know again 99 percent recovery rate every time you post about it online some yeah. jack off i know we'll come in there talking about 99 percent recovery rate and it just drives me crazy yep because not the point a, no that's exactly it yeah but part of the problem and we're not going to turn this into the uh Turducken round table here, but because <laughs> we are not educated enough at all to do that. No, and and no one turns tunes into the show for that. But I took I had to take a cab for the first time uh, since the pandemic began. Right, and I wore a mask. He wore a mask. The windows were down. You know, uh, Friday night right. I had to do it. But I asked him. You know, I said, uh, "How's how's things been?" And, and he told me, and he seemed like a reasonable enough guy. But then he said to me, he said, "You know, man, I just some days I just think it's all fake." Hmm. And, you know, it's like when someone is taking meds and their mood stabilizes. Right. And they're like, man, I don't need these meds anymore. I can just yeah. throw these in the tr- Oh, yeah. wow. I, I'm living in a dumpster. Yeah. yeah. My mood just completely yeah. destabilized. My world fell yeah, apart. And 100%. it's like, yeah, we've been so safe in the Western world for so long. Yeah. And, and even here on, especially here on the island, you know, we've got the geographical barrier of the strait. So it seems like, oh, well, we're fine. This, this isn't really a thing. But mm-hmm. you tell that to people who've lost family members, mm-hmm. you know, these, these retirement communities where this virus has just ripped through it, oh, just leaving tons of dead people in its yeah. way, man. Yeah. Anyways, Luke, we're glad you're better. That's the point of this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we hope you get the rest of the way there soon. Yeah. And uh, now it's time for our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Andrea Sent, Buzzsaw Fisticuffs Builds Jeeps. Good name. I Ian, love that. Ian Harrison. Mike Reza. Alicia Marie. Tammy Steger. 
Mel N. V. Amanda Masterton. Ellen J. Brown. Wilma Sosa. Kristen. Francine Martinson. Ashley Elizabeth. And Anna Guevara. Thank you so, so much, everyone, for your contributions. You guys are literally what's keeping the show going. Yeah. And it means so, so much to us. If you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. That's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20, and $50 levels. Five and up gets you access to exclusive stickers, bonus content. I actually just released a short audio drama uh, that I whipped up in my spare time yesterday. <laughs> That's up there. There's also our Cabin Fever episodes, which are a monthly episode where Ian and I just shoot the shit about all the stuff going on in our life. There's our monthly live show. You also get early access. The shows come out about two or three days early, depending on the week. At certain levels, you get exclusive magnets, art cards with my night photography, and of course, Ian's smash hit, Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. <laughs> All of that and more at patreon.com slash guys. As we said, if you want to get in touch, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the way to do it. We read as much mail as we can on our mini shows, which happen every other week. So there'll be one out next week and then two weeks after that. And you can send that to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Or if you don't feel like typing, you can send it via the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're going to call Ghost Line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. Thanks to our listener, Amber Pease, for her Ghost Line jingle. That's one 588 6920 or you can text at 925-553-4789. We're also on Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys, Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, and Instagram at instagram.com slash theghoststoryguys. You can find me on social media at uh, t- on Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at largely the truth. And mine is Ian Gibbs on Facebook and uh, Ian Gibbs on Twitter. And um, Instagram is just Ghost Story Guy. If you want to pick up some merch, including T-shirts, mugs, signed copies of our books, head on over to ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the links to our store. If you go to the Redbubble or Public, that's T-shirts and mugs. If you go to Big Cartel, that is signed books, magnets, stickers, and pins, all that kind of stuff. And we just put a couple things on sale in the Big Cartel store. We've got two or three left of the limited edition logo magnets. It was sort of a a test run we did, and we decided not to put them into production, but we had a few hanging hanging around, so we thought we'd blow those out. So those are on for two bucks Canadian, so that's like, I don't know, five cents American. (laughs) And a doob-doob. Yeah, exactly. And the Steve the Cheese Demon stickers, I believe are, I don't remember the price, but they are also on sale. And those are a high quality die cut sticker that you can't get anywhere else. I know for a while there, I think on Redbubble, you could get a Steve sticker, but these are a much higher quality. So again, that's all at ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com or at ghoststoryguys.com and follow the links. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. Find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by going to hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. (laughs) Or by searching for Hexagram wherever you stream your music.
Finally, all other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for Podsafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back next week with our mini show. And until then, into the darkness we go. Insider information. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I'm putting that use, in the outtakes. We can't use any of it. That goes in the outtakes. Oh my god! Free of context. It's fine. It. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, okay. I don't know if I'd say fine, but <laughs> do what you want to my partner. Just don't hurt me. Exactly. <laughs> Take him. He's plumper. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, and we're back to Growler. <laughs> no one had a heart attack or anything? Like, what the fuck? Because yeah, I have all these brains up there and <laughs> facts and figures. and Yeah, that's it. You're Nobel Peace Prize. Erudite quotes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, my brain is so full of genius, it has no room for... Foolishness. Yeah, exactly. You understand. <laughs> Huge even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get complaints too big. I get complaints. The turning radius in my car, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is, this is more your field than mine. <laughs>